Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Samantha Politics. I apologize that we're starting a little bit late. As goes with live streaming, we did have a few technical difficulties, but I'm super excited to have an, our amazing guest in the wings that can really help us understand the implications of this recently leaked document to Politico about Roe v. Wade potentially being overturned. Her name is Gerald Hayes. She is fantastic. Um, if you are interested in supporting us on Patreon, www.patreon.com slash samanthropolitics1 if you think this coverage is important. So I want to get right into things because we are running on the clock. So today I went to the Supreme Court where protesters were protesting what just happened, which was an unprecedented leak of a 98-page document, a majority opinion by the Supreme Court that is in reference to a Mississippi case that was banning abortion at 15 weeks of pregnancy. Now that runs up against Roe v. Wade, which by the way, Roe v. Wade does not say that you can have an abortion at any point in the pregnancy. It's up to the point of fetal viability outside the womb, which is around 23 weeks. So the Mississippi law 15 weeks ran up against that and it was brought to the Supreme Court a couple months ago to say, is it constitutional? Now, if it's Roe v. Wade, if it's going up against Roe v. Wade, it should be unconstitutional. However, the Supreme Court that now has a majority conservatives on the Supreme Court including our most recently added justice who is, excuse me, not the most recently added, but the very religious Amy Comey Barrett, which is becoming incredibly obvious and non-feminist, uh, has made it a majority conservatives within the Supreme Court. So this document was leaked to Politico on Monday night. It is again an unprecedented leak. The Supreme Court is usually airtight when it comes to leaks versus the White House and Congress. So the fact that this got out, I think shows that somebody wanted to undermine this happening because it is just so scary. Now, Roe v. Wade has been in act for almost 50 years, since 1973. And also just to clarify, what does it mean if Roe v. Wade is overturned? So Roe v. Wade is a federal law. So what that means is that states have to abide by that federal law. So if a state has a ban on abortion up to 15 weeks, for example, Mississippi, that now runs up against the federal law. So if the federal law is gone, basically the states have carte blanche to do whatever they want when it comes to abortion. They can outlaw abortion in cases of rape and incest. They can outlaw abortion in case of medical, um, in case of medical viability issues. They can outlaw abortion in whatever the heck case they want because somebody has, I don't know, is purple. They literally can do whatever they want and essentially there's no protections from the federal government to tell states they can't do that. So if this does go into effect, we're going to see about half of the United States lose access to abortion rights. That means that women from those states, if they want to gain access to abortion, are going to have to travel across borders, which as we'll talk to Gerald about, can affect women who don't have the means uh, very much so. Now this is ironic because federal funding under the Hyde Amendment already prohibits uh, federal funding from going to abortions. So this means women who are on Medicaid already have a lot of trouble accessing abortions just for the fact that they don't have insurance that will pay for it because Medicaid is federally funded. So this puts even more burdens in front of those women and more cost burdens that travel in addition to the insurance, uh, in, in addition to not having insurance coverage. 
So essentially what this will do is leave it up to states' rights. Now, just a few things that I wanted to bring to light that I think are important is that maternal mortality and infant mortality will certainly increase if Roe v. Wade is overturned. Why is that? Because pregnancy is dangerous, especially to women under the age of 18. It's extremely dangerous. The female body is not ready for it yet. Pregnancy uh, is more dangerous than an abortion, carrying a pregnancy to term. Uh, having an abortion is actually less likely to cause complications than, get this, getting your wisdom teeth removed. It is also safer than a colonoscopy, which is a little upsetting because I have to have a colonoscopy in a couple of weeks, I'm not going to lie. So it is estimated that maternal mortality rates in the US, which have already gone up by 20%, 20% from just from 2019 to 2020, will raise by another 20% if there's a total ban on abortions. Zach, you can put up that table so we can see those numbers. Now, maternal mortality in the US had already risen from 20 deaths per 100,000 live births in 2019 to 24 in 2020, marking an 18% increase. There's been an increase of 37% since 2018. We are the only developed country where maternal mortality has been on the rise. And guess what? Putting more legislation around abortions and banning abortion is only going to mean that more women die. So when people say that they're pro-life, they're anti the life of women because women are going to die. The research is extremely clear about that. But I just want to go to our guest because she is waiting in the wings. Our guest is Gerald Hayes. She is the movement building director at If When How Lawyering for Reproductive Justice, where she shapes movement building strategies and sees the mobilization and networking of law students and legal professionals to champion reproductive justice. Prior to working with If When How, Gerald worked as the Director of Public Policy for Physicians for Reproductive Health and as a Domestic Policy Analyst with Advocates for Youth. She is a lawyer with a JD from Washington University in St. Louis and has an LLM with a specialization in gender and the law from AU. She's also served as the board president of the DC Abortion Fund, which was a volunteer nonprofit that helped pregnant people in the DC area who could not afford the cost of an abortion. Again, because of the Hyde Amendment, which prohibits federal funding as in Medicaid to go for abortions. That means we need private funds to help those women. She also previously served as the chair of the Women's Information Network, is on the board of trustees for Denison University, and all sorts of other impressive things. So she has a speaking engagement tonight, so I want to bring her in and see what she has to say about this. Cheryl, welcome to the show. Samantha, thank you so much for having me with you tonight. I'm so delighted to have you, and I do have to apologize to our guests. We're having some technical issues, so we don't get to see her beautiful face, um, but she is going to be on audio answering our questions. So, you know, I think what everyone's wondering is how did Roe last for this long, even under conservative Supreme Court and, you know, uh, Republican administrations? Why is it now coming under fire all of a sudden? So I think that people need to understand, you know, there is a lot more support for abortion rights than, than, we, than we realize. And that means that even among 
conservative folks, they actually don't want to see this, this law um, fall. It's actually sort of a fringe group um, that have really mm. been pushing that there's been the strategy for decades to sort of overturn Roe, but it's really been for uh, conservatives, it's actually been a great sort of fundraiser for them. It's been a political, um, they, they've used it politically as a way to organize, uh, to keep people, you know, voting for Republicans, to uh, keep conservatives sort of in, in positions of power because of this, you know, sort of threat of, you know, we're going to use this um, opportunity to overturn Roe one day. Uh, this is actually now a situation where um, we joke about it being, you know, the, the dog that caught the car. Um, this actually, you know, for, for, for some conservatives, they may not say this out loud, but they're saying this behind closed doors. This is not actually the result um, that they want. And one of the reasons we know this is because there are pro-life people, people who identify as being pro-life, who are accessing abortion care. There are mm. people who are, you know, who, who say publicly uh, that they are, are pro-life, but are helping, you know, the, the women in their family sort of procure um, abortions. Um, because we know that people, for as long as people have been able to get pregnant, uh, people have been ending their pregnancy. Um, and, you know, this abortion is a part of, of reproductive health care. It is a part of life. Um, even for those who might not, you know, identify identify themselves as pro-choice, they are still accessing uh, abortion. So this is—it's actually an issue that is yeah. that is more popular. There, there, we have you know polling results that says the majority of people actually support abortion rights. Um, and on the, you know, it, it has been used as sort of this political tool. It's a so it's essentially a rallying cry for the Republican Party. Exactly. This has been the sort of issue that has has been a singular issue for many folks. Um, even if there are other issues that they don't like about politician, if they are, you know, if they identify as being pro-life, then that's the 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 sort of single issue that um, you know, folks will, will sort of uh, vote on. Um, but I remember when I was doing my master's thesis and there was some research that showed that essentially this also, it became a rallying cry for the far right when um, the civil rights movement was happening. It was no longer politically correct to basically have a party that was built around racism. Have you heard anything about in that light? Yes, that's, that's absolutely correct. Um, at the time, Southern Democrats were a little upset about the Civil Rights Act um, that were happening. And the Republicans saw this as a way to, to pull particularly uh, Southern Catholic Democrats into the party by um, making sort of contraception and abortion uh, these, these sort of wedge issues. Prior to that, it had really been sort of a you know, a, per, a personal responsibility issue. Um, you had presidents like uh, President George W. Bush, who had, you know, who had ties to Planned Parenthood. Um, so this wasn't, you know, really until, um, you know, the, the, the last few decades has really become such a, a, a wedge issue. It was really used as a way to pull uh, Southern Democrats into the Republican Party and kind of, mm. so, you know, so, it was how much of this is just, it, it's hard to even read a leader's opinion and not just have in the back of my head, this is all BS. I mean, this is, it's all about the Catholic church. It's all about controlling women's bodies. Like what are your thoughts on the legit, like his reasoning within the opinion as a lawyer yourself? 
So what's really hard, um, and, and the draft opinion is still just a draft, um, so we have to remember to kind of take it with a, with a grain of salt, um, but what I think was most alarming for many folks is, is you know, the, the ways that they are going after individual rights and the right to privacy. Um, and really, you know, abortion is just the sort of tip of the iceberg. There are a number of other rights that have been procured because of the, the Roe reasoning that are now at, you know, in at threat. Um, how people form their families. So I'm gonna, sorry, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop you for one second just sure. because for the, the, the non-lawyers in the room, um, basically what she's saying is that there's been a lot of other cases that have been decided based upon the jurisprudence that and the reasoning that was in Roe v. Wade, and now those cases are going to come under threat. Is that correct, Cheryl? That's correct. Um, and you know, gay marriage is is one. The Obergefell opinion that came out um, uh, several years ago is one that relied on the Roe reasoning um, that you know could be is, is has already been talked about being targeted. Um, so, you know, who you decide to be in a relationship with, whether that's somebody of a different gender, if that's somebody of a different race, how you decide to form your family, all of those things are now, can now be, you know, subject to state law. So is the, so the, the privacy idea is that, you know, saying that like you can't have interracial dating, for example, I mean, like, what is this, 1950? Um, so like, that's literally something that could be, you know, Mississippi could say you can't marry a person of color if you're a white person. That's right. So those laws were called anti-miscegenation laws. Um, and there was, you know, um, the, the Supreme Court case, Loving v. Virginia, is the Supreme Court case that sort of um, allowed uh, interracial marriage to happen all across the country. But there were states prior to that that specifically had laws on their books about anti-miscegenation, that you couldn't have two different races sort of marry. Um, and that, that case wasn't decided until, you know, 1967. And there were still there, you know, until recently, there were still uh, states that had those laws on the books. And we've already heard from uh, some politicians about, you know, potential of, of, of reinstating uh, some of those laws. And part of the reason is, you know, wanting you've heard politicians actually talk about basically using this as a litmus test to reinstate other racist law, <laughs> other, other laws that interfere in individual rights. Is, it, is that a, there's a very slippery slope that can happen based on, wow. on the, based on the loss of this, this sort of right to privacy. Wow. Um, so, I, sorry, again, Gerald, so why, why now? Like, how has this happened? I think I asked you and then I cut you off. Why is this happening right now in 2022? So this is a result of what happened in the 2016 election. This was Donald Trump getting elected and saying that, you know, what he wants to do is to um, put folks on the Supreme Court who are going to overturn Roe. Uh, that was, you know, one of his campaign promises that he made. That was one of um, the sort of litmus tests that he had for uh, the Supreme Court justice candidates. Um, and despite them, you know. And is that because, you know, I'm going to stop you for one. Sorry, I'm going to keep stopping you because there's it's just so much intrigue here. Is that because Trump is, if you're saying that like most conservatives do support Roe, is that because Trump is funded by a lot of these far right fringe elements? 
Yes, he's sort of tapped into, um, you know, a, a group of folks who aren't necessarily what are sort of considered mainstream conservatives. Um, and so I think for many of the, you know, there were opportunities in the past when there were, um, when the Republicans were in control of Congress and the, and the White House, where they could have enacted, they could have put together federal legislation, they could have passed federal legislation that would have banned abortion all across the country. Um, mm. And they didn't do that because politically it wasn't a good move for them. Mm. Uh, Trump is, you know, acting in a different vein, right? Like he doesn't follow the sort of traditional methods of, uh, you know, the, the traditional um, uh, pathway that most, most conservatives have had. You know, they have had numerous times to sort of enact federal legislation and they've chosen not to in part because in the past, the Supreme Court has followed what's called precedent, which means mm -hmm. that cases that are decided, generally speaking, there is a deference to those past uh, justices, to the past sort of wisdom, uh, sometimes that you can, you know, sort of make adjustments to, to cases, but generally, especially for a case that has been around as as long as uh, Roe has, forty nine plus years, generally speaking, that is that is precedent to you know to continue uh, to to stay in the same vein. And in fact, the court had a couple of different opportunities to completely overturn Roe, and they didn't. Mm -hmm. uh, in the nineteen ninety two Casey versus Planned Parenthood case, they had an opportunity to overturn Roe. And they, was it a conservative majority at that time? Uh, it was, it was, there, there was a sort of some swing votes that were happening there. And so it, it resulted in, you know, not, not a full, um, there, there's just some like legal, there was a plurality, um, not a, not a majority opinion, which gets into some sort of legal, uh, mumbo jumbo, but essentially, you know, there, there were, they had enough, uh, sort of votes to, if they wanted to, to, to really overturn it, they could, but they gave deference to Roe. They, they did weaken um, elements of Roe, um, but they, they they didn't explicitly overturn it when they had the opportunity. The same thing happened in 2016 with the whole women's uh, health case out of uh, Texas. Mm -hmm. um, they had an opportunity to overturn Roe. They just, you know, they opted not to do that. And again, in 2018, uh, in, a, in the June medical case, again, they had an opportunity uh, to to overturn Roe and they, and they didn't. At that time, they were still following the sort of um, precedents um, upholding the sort of integrity of the Supreme Court. Mm -hmm. What we have seen previously from the Supreme Court is when there are um, cases that come to the Supreme Court from states that are, you know, explicitly trying to, um, you know, that are explicitly passing laws that are directly against Roe. So that's the 15-week bans. It's the six-week bans. Um, the, the, in the past, the Supreme Court has said, no, you can't, you can't enact those, those go, those go against Roe. What has changed and what shocked a lot of folks in the legal community in September uh, is when the Texas, the SB8 case, that in, by met most folks' understanding of it is blatantly unconstitutional, when mm -hmm. that was not stayed by, so when the, right. when the Supreme Court didn't issue a statement saying, you know, this this law cannot go into effect when they right. allowed it to go into effect, that was a signal to most folks in the legal community that this Supreme Court is not operating in the same way that past Supreme Courts have. When they have the majority that they do have, a six to three conservative to, to liberal majority, 
it's 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 signaling that they are operating in a different manner um, than they have in the past, and that you know, for a lot of folks, they're they're now concerned about you know what is what kind of cases could come up against the Supreme Court that the Supreme Court is not going to follow you know past um, precedent that they're not going to follow the sort of um, general ways that this that the court has acted in the past. So we're. So what is? I mean, what is that? Doesn't that undermine the integrity of the Supreme Court? I mean, if they're not, isn't the whole? I mean, my sister's a lawyer. I won't pretend to be a lawyer, but isn't like the whole legal field based on precedent, based on looking for precedents to support your argument? Like, what is this? How doesn't this affect like the whole practice of law? I don't. I don't really understand. Yeah, that is that is why folks are really really concerned right now. Is because. You know, the Supreme Court, in the way that it was designed in our Constitution, was set to be the sort of check against Congress, against the president, you know, balancing out those powers. And that the, the fact that that is no longer, that doesn't seem to be the case anymore, really has a lot of folks really concerned about what other cases could come um, up um, for, you know, to the Supreme Court that they again, would not act in, in the ways that we would anticipate um, that they act. Um, and, you know, what kind of license then does this give states in terms of the types of laws that they could pass, at the, you know, at the state level, that there's now, there's not a protection, you know, in the past, it's been, well, that's going to get, you know, you know, shut down by the, by the Supreme Court. Mm. If that's no longer a concern, now states basically have carte blanche uh, the ability to just, you know, pass whatever laws that they want to. And um, that's not with regard to abortion. That's with regard to anything you're saying. That's with regard to anything. We're, there's a lot of concern yeah. right now about voting rights um, mm. because, you know, many of those can be, um, you know, sort of challenged uh, at the state level. And if the Supreme Court is not going to, you know, sort of protect voting rights, there's not a lot of recourse that folks have uh, to push back um, other than, you know, really trying to mobilize and organize folks to vote out um, those uh, legislators who are, you know, who are acting against the, the interests of the general public. Mm, I, mean, that's, I think that's so shocking. And I don't think a lot of people understand the implications of this beyond abortion. That's right. Abortion is, is the sort of tip of the iceberg, but any sort of um, rights that aren't explicitly stated in the constitution are you know that again this is right because deadly. because this reasoning was that abortion is not enshrined in the constitution and therefore it should not be allowed is that that's, what you're saying? Yeah, that's part of alito's reasoning for why he says that roe was wrongly decided and that you know the sort of other cases that sort of relied on that reasoning are are subject to then go back oh to my this. gosh which is crazy because the constitution was ratified in 1787 that's right. Uh, you and I would not be considered, you know, members. Uh, we there's we so wouldn't have the right to vote. I mean, right. we would not have the right to vote. Um, you know, minorities would not have the right to vote. Uh, there's there's non landowners would not have the right to vote. Correct. There's so much that has changed and shifted in our country, um, you know, in the past 150 years that it it's it's a little absurd to you know to to really think of um, you know that strict originalist sort of line of thinking that everything, right. you know, that what's in the constitution is, is the only way um, that we can sort of confer rights. Um, so this is, this is why this is, this is an issue that really has a lot of folks very concerned. 
about the future of our country, about the future mm. of our democracy. And this yeah. is why people really need to be engaged in the political process um, because you know it can slip away from us very easily. Uh, and yeah. we're seeing what happens when you don't you know, have these checks and balances, when you don't have these guardrails in place to keep our dem democracy on track. So if, you know, if all these individual rights things, it's also just like so ironic because, ugh, gosh, like the Republican Party is supposedly the government that's, or supposedly the party that's supposed to be about the government staying out of people's business. And yet this is like all these private things can now be decided by the states, which is really up against the whole idea of conservatism. The hypocrisy is astounding. It will make your head spin to think about all of the ways that they, you know, that they uh, talk in contradictions. And it's, you know, basically dependent on whose rights they're trying to protect uh, in terms of, you know, which, you know, which avenues they, they want to, to sort of move forward about what the government should do and what the government shouldn't do. They like to pick and choose. Um, and we, we see this, in, you know, specifically in relation um, to families, right? They, they were saying, you know, they're the party of, of family values. They're the party yeah. of protecting, you know, innocent lives. And yet when there are opportunities for them to support families by, um, you know, by making, for extending the child tax credit, right? By, you know, making the economic situations that people, right. you know, have access to good paying jobs that have, you know, a livable wage, um, that there are protections for pregnant workers so that they're not fired um, for asking for accommodations because of their pregnancy, um, that, you know, the people have access to paid sick leave and parental leave um, so that they can actually take care of a child once, uh, once that child does come. You know, there are all sorts of ways that they could really put their money where their mouth is and support um, families, but they also choose right. not to do that as well. Um, right. And also from the economic perspective, it's like, if you want lower taxes, don't have women that can't afford children and families that can't afford children because have children because they end up on welfare, which raises your taxes. Yeah, there is, you know, there's a challenging aspect of this is, is, you know, we know that the majority of people who are seeking abortions are already parents. So they're already mm -hmm. trying to like, you know, really look at their economic circumstances, how they make ends meet. Um, and they're making determinations that are in the best interest of their family because they, you know, they want to, they want to be able, they're, they're trying to avoid poverty in some ways or, or, or stay out of um, situations where, you know, they don't have the economic means. Um, and for them, the best choice is to terminate the pregnancy uh, because they can't afford another child. And so they're making strong economic decisions uh, and yet, you know, uh, the anti-choice folks wanted to sort of take away um, that ability for families to make, you know, the best choice for, for their individual um, family needs, uh, which is very challenging. I remember reading Margaret Sanger's autobiography, the, the Inventor of Birth Control, and she talks basically about how she was essentially inspired by the horror of living, I think she was in Boston and seeing these like Irish families that were just exploding and they just they couldn't afford, they were living in poverty and could not afford more children and seeing people die on the, you know, on the table and maternity because they, they didn't, you know, family planning, like you also have to have space between your pregnancies for your body to be able to recover, especially if you have something like a C-section. Um, and if you don't have that space, it's a much higher likelihood of maternal mortality, correct? 
That's right. And that that's that is one of the reasons that maternal mortality rates can be high is, you know, when people don't have access to to contraception, to, to space and think about the, the timing and spacing um, of their of their pregnancies, um, when people have underlying health conditions that can be exacerbated um, by a pregnancy. Mm. Um, and, you know, in in some cases, it, it, it may not reach the point of being sort of life or death. Um, that may trigger some, you know, exceptions in some cases, but it can really impact um, their health. Um, for example, you um, may have, you know, a, a woman who might need, uh, who might be in kidney, you know, have, have, have kidney issues um, and, she can't go on dialysis if she's pregnant, or you know there may be some you know treatments, cancer treatments that may be needed that can't happen if a person is uh, is, uh. is pregnant. Um, in some cases, it's things like pain medication, right? That there are are somebody who is who is managing a chronic uh, illness and takes certain medications, um, you know, to manage that pain. That if they become pregnant, they now can't use those medications with a pregnancy. Um, and you, you know, you have um, challenges of, of pharmacists who aren't, you know, fulfilling um, medications if they know that, that somebody is, is pregnant. Uh, so you, yeah. you have these sort of interferences in, in people's uh, lives and being able to sort of make the best medical decisions um, that should be between, a, you know, a patient and, and their doctor or their family or whoever they determine um, is is who they want you know to be making those decisions. It should right. not be the government making those right. decisions. Right. Yeah. And you know the irony too is, I remember a friend of mine said to me, you know, I would never have an abortion, but I don't care if someone else does. But I'm pro life, and I was like, no, you're pro choice. It doesn't matter. Like if you, that's the whole idea. It's not that you wouldn't get an abortion. It's that you believe that women have the right to choose whether or not they want that and that they have access to that. Absolutely. And in part, because there are so many different situations uh, that somebody may need, a, you know, abortion care, and they might not be situations that anyone has ever put themselves in or even thought of. And it's not until you're faced with, you know, with a challenging situation that, you know, that you can actually make that determination. And so we would want the the full range of um, care to be available to somebody so that they can you know with with their uh, doctor make that determination in this situation this is the the best case of action right. that should be right. you know advice by medical professionals not by legislators legislators are not doctors they should not be trying to you know practice medicine without a license by making mm. you know passing legislation that is gonna restrict um, medical care. Um, so speaking of that, you know, what's something we saw in the Texas case is this vigilanteism of being able to run after a doctor or an Uber driver that goes to a clinic for helping to obtain an abortion. Is it possible not just that states will abortion, but that more states will criminalize um, women who have them or people who aid in that? Is that a possibility? It's not just a possibility. It's already happening. Mm -hmm. uh, we are seeing an increase um, in in people being sort of prosecuted for outcomes of their pregnancy. Um, in some cases, it's it's somebody who may have uh, self managed an abortion, um, and they may have some complications, and they present um, at an emergency room, and a nurse or a doctor decides, you know, um, I think this person, you know, tried to um, uh, self manage their abortion, and I'm gonna, you know 
call call the law enforcement on them. Um, we've we've seen that situation happen. Um, we've seen people who have experienced, you know, a stillbirth at home, um, yeah. and you know, based on um, you know, sort of how they present. Um, somebody might say, you know, you might have a prosecutor who says, I don't know that that was a natural, you know, sort of uh, stillbirth. We're 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 just going to prosecute you, um, and and you using laws that were never meant um, to be used against a pregnant person. Mm. Um, we are seeing that sort of increase already happen. And we know that that's, you know, that's, that's going to be um, in, in cases um, where, you know, states have more and more restrictions that, you know, people will have um, more and more, you know, risk of being criminalized because of their uh, pregnancy outcomes, and we know who is most likely to, you know, already is being surveilled um, by the state. It's 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 more people of color. It's young people. It's queer folks. Um, it's you know uh, people who are undocumented, um, who are disproportionately impacted and most likely, you know, to come um, to sort of be surveilled by by the state. And so that is a real concern. Um, is, is there is there? I just had a, a, an idea. Is it possible that we could overturn the Hyde Amendment to like alleviate, because wouldn't that be by executive order to like alleviate some of the... So the Hyde Amendment is a, it's it's a uh, policy writer in, it's part of the budget process. So Congress mm -hmm. every year has the opportunity um, to to remove those those Hyde restrictions. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, there, it's, it's more, it's, it's in, it's with anyone who has, um, a relationship with the government where they they have public insurance to the government. So you mentioned Medicaid, that is one group. Medicare is another group. Mm -hmm. um, folks who have the Children's Health Insurance um, Program chip. Um, anyone who works for the government. Um, anyone who you know is in custody of the government. So that is you know folks in immigration uh, detention centers. That's folks in um, prison. Um, that's folks who are in the child welfare system. So it's it's beyond just folks who have um, Medicaid. There are you know yeah. military folks. Um, though they all are subject subjected to those those restrictions as well. And yeah. so yeah, it's it's the sort of thing. Um, you know, if if politicians would be brave, um, they could remove the Hyde Amendment from the budget every year they have an opportunity to do that. There just hasn't been enough political will uh, to to really make it happen. But there is work that's happening on the ground to really kind of push um, legislators to to think differently about the Hyde Amendment. Hmm. What about, what are your thoughts on packing, packing the court as in adding more justices to the Supreme Court? I think that that would be a solution uh, that would be available. And actually it makes sense in terms of how uh, the the lower courts have grown in in the past. That has been a way that part of the reasons that the, the court expanded uh, was to keep track. You know, each justice has um, is assigned. You know, certain districts. Um, you know, there are different district courts um, that that are um, that happen geographically. And so we have grown the district courts, but we haven't grown the the Supreme Court. So it actually does mm -hmm. numerically make sense. Uh, to to expand the court, um, and you know, just knowing that Congress, particularly the Senate, has you know, in the past they have really taken seriously the role of of judicial, you know, of of um, uh, even with Supreme Court 
court justices, it hasn't been this contentious. You know, before you would have um, on either side justices being uh, confirmed, you know, 96 to three or, you know, yeah. very, very sort of big margins because there was this sort of deference of the, you know, uh, reverence of the courts. Hmm. But, you know, in, in recent, um, in, in recent, you know, politics, that has no longer been the case. And so we can't rely sort of on the Senate to be, um, you know, to be there, what they've been in the past, which is very deferential um, to, to the judicial process. Um, so, so expanding the courts is a way of, of one, you know, having that balance of Supreme Court justices to the, the district courts, but also balance, having a better balance on our Supreme Court um, of, you know, of, of opinions so that, you know, when cases come up uh, to the Supreme Court, it, they really have an opportunity to be judged on the merits and not, you know, it, it really feels like it's, it's become so much more political. Mm. That's not how it was set up to be. Right. So I want to have a, a few more questions. I'll let you get out of here. Are there any myths, other myths about abortion that you would like to debunk on the show? Sure. Um, you know, one of the, the, we really want to work to reduce stigma around abortion. Um, and so one of the you know myths is like there there are good abortions and there are bad abortions. There are the 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 sort of you know sometimes people will put forth stories that are are meant to be sympathetic and and sort of tug at, at the heartstrings. The reality is people have abortions for all sorts of reasons, and their reasons are all valid. Um, there should not be some sort of judgment of like oh this abortion is worth you know, supporting, but that abortion. Right, like in cases of rape and incest, that's okay. But if it's an unwanted pregnancy for economic reasons, that's not okay. Right. Yeah, that we should not be sort of judging folks for, for whatever reasons. We should be supporting, you know, it, it should be a private medical decision. No one, you know, nobody goes in and, and you know, like you have a colonoscopy coming up. That's not, you know, that's not a thing that people generally know about each other like when you have a mammogram or when you have you know any other sort of medical procedure and abortion should be the same way you know you're you're what however you sort of de determine um that makes sense for you you are the you should be the only person who is 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 sort of making that determination for yourself um for no other medical procedure do folks feel the the need to sort of weigh in um, and it should, you know, that, that, that should be the same case for, for abortion, no, that no matter what the reason is, it should, mm. it should be supported. I think the other, um, one of the other things is that women are the only people who need, um, abortion. And yes, the, the, the grand majority of people who need abortion are women, but there are also, uh, trans folks and gender nonconforming folks who mm. also need abortion. There are queer folks who need abortion. So it's not just straight women um, who sort of need access to abortion care. There are a wide variety of folks um, who need access to abortion care. And so um, I think there are some folks who sort of want to limit this to like a women's issue. Um, it's yeah. not just a women's issue. We can, and we can acknowledge that yes, women have borne the brunt of um, the, the restrictions there are, and, and that some of these, and acknowledging that some of these restrictions are aimed at women simply because they are women. Like that is absolutely true, but they are not the only one who are, who are, who are sort of subjected. Um, so if we say pregnant people, if we say women and, preg and people who can get pregnant, that's not erasing uh, that women are, are sort of the, the 
um, bearing the brunt of this, but it is acknowledging that there are folks other than women um, who do need a uh, who do need abortion care um, and who you know that we don't want to stigmatize um, uh, you know folks by just by just sort of uh, focusing focusing on women or using um, women only language. Um, so, but, yeah, go ahead. And then the final thing I just, you know, in terms of um, abortion, there are um, folks who choose to self-manage their own abortion. Um, and there's some stigma around self-managed abortion. Do you um, mean that they're doing it, the self-induced abortion? That's right. That's They're, they're ordering pills. Um, there, you know, there are some um, uh, traditional ways um, using herbs and other um, natural ways that have been mm -hmm. passed down from, you know, that are cultural. Um, there are lots of reasons that somebody might might decide to um, to to do a self-managed abortion. It you know they don't want it. They don't want to be in the clinical space. They don't you know if they're undocumented. Um, we know that that ICE has set up checkpoints around um, uh, reproductive health clinics um, to deter people um, from from getting healthcare. Oh my God! So basically, they're bas that is horrendous. So they're basically oh, yeah. trying to catch. They're, yes, they're 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 using illegal immigrants while they're trying to go get healthcare. That's right. Um, you know, there are some folks who don't want to face protesters, right? They they don't. You know, the the gauntlet that has been laid down. Um, there's folks who can't get time off of work, right? If you don't have paid sick leave, or if you you know don't have that ability, if you're working multiple jobs. Um, we also know, you know, the majority of people who are seeking abortion already have children, so they have childcare um, that they're sort of thinking about. Um, right. There are lots of reasons that somebody might say, you know what, I would, you know, I'd rather do this at home where I can, you know, sort of control the, the setting, that sort of thing. And it's absolutely safe for them to be able to do that. We want to support people. You know, if somebody is like, I would rather, I want to be in a clinic setting. Great. We want, we want people to have access to clinics. We want there to be um, providers who are, you, who are available to them, we want people to be able to afford um, to have the, the abortion care that they need. And there are people who are like, I would rather not uh, be, you know, get have my abortion in a clinical setting. Great, we want to support those people as well. Um, mm -hmm. So I think, you know, not privileging certain types of abortion and not stigmatizing uh, people who do um, self-manage uh, their their abortions. Um, we we want to make sure that that people are able to make, you know, sort of the the decisions that work best um, for them. I would also encourage people not to use coat hanger imagery or talk about, you know, sort of back alley abortions. Mm -hmm. Technology has come a long way. Medical technology has come a long way since 1973. And, you know, what the the options if a clinical abortion is not available is abortion by pills um, and people being able to sort of self-manage abortion. And it's absolutely safe for people uh, to, to do that if they uh, follow the, the direction. So what, what happens though? What what happens, you know, just paint the picture for us. This is my, I have two more questions. This is one of my last ones, but paint the picture. So what happens if this goes into effect? So prior to Roe, it was a sort of state by state issue. Uh, so some states, you know, explicitly said abortion is legal. Uh, New York was a state where abortion was legal. Um, some states explicitly said abortion is illegal. Uh, Texas was one of those states um, where uh, Jane Roe uh, is from. Uh, and then there were states that were sort of silent on the issue that didn't say, you know, um, that, that had no laws specifically about, um, uh, about abortion. When Roe was decided, it essentially said that, you know, 
states cannot en enact laws that restricted abortion, uh, you know, based on the sort of trimester system that was sort of uh, modified in 1982 by the Casey case that then went to, as you mentioned before, the viability standard um, that said that, that states couldn't um, enact laws um, prior to viability. Um, if Roe, if, you know, it's essentially said that Roe and Casey are overturned, there are uh, more than 20 states that have what are called trigger laws that essentially say as soon as the Supreme Court case is overturned, abortion is illegal in our state effective immediately. So it's in essence, I'm sorry, I just lost your audio. I think you're muted. Sorry, my, my mic was muted. That was an amateur moment. Um, is that in any case, the trigger law, meaning in cases of rape and incest, in case of medical, whatever, would the trigger laws make any exceptions or it's just total ban on abortions? That's a state by state decision. In in most states, there there are those exceptions, but in some states, um, and especially we've seen recently uh, being you know discussed that there are states that don't want to include exceptions for rape and incest. Um, and, and in fact, many of those um, copycat SB8 uh, from like the Texas don't right. explicitly don't include uh, exceptions. And in some cases, even for the life of the mother to go into effect, essentially the um, woman has to essentially be on her deathbed. Oh my uh, God. It's, it's pretty aggressive, right? <laughs> this is why it's, it's, it's not actually about women's health. Um, so, so yeah, so there, there are those states um, that would, that would, you know, a, abortion would become immediately illegal. In other no. states, they have taken the opposite, gone the opposite direction, and affirmatively have have said in their state abortion is legal, and and um, you know that that people will be always be able to get abortion within the state. And then there are some states that have not, that are that have remained sort of silent on. Um, either you know on on whether or not it's it's legal or illegal um and that's where you know states will may start to uh decide whether or not uh to to enact specific legislation um and that's where there's actually opportunities to organize you know if a state doesn't hasn't already affirmatively you know stated that um, abortion is legal in their state do you know uh, what do you know what states those are any ideas yeah, I don't know off the top of my head. I believe Guttmacher has the most up-to-date up map on their website that shows, you know, where all the states are that have the, tr the trigger um, laws or that have, you know, sort of similar um, laws that would go into effect um, pretty pretty quickly. Um, and then the states that do have, you know, that, that have uh, have affirmatively uh, stated, yeah, um, they it. don't know right off which states, you know, are, are sort of silent. Um, on whether or not um, uh, abortion is legal or illegal in their it state. Looks like, it looks like there's, yeah, there's a map with red states, blue states, and gray states. No idea what the... Yeah, so I would imagine the gray states are the ones that don't have, that, that don't say either way. Interesting, because those are some like very liberal states. Interesting. States so unlikely to ban abortion. Yeah, it says states unlikely to ban abortion that would not have the nearest provider for people in states where abortion is banned. States that are unless sorry. Anyway, this is interesting. Yeah. yeah. Well, and so part of what that is 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 also looking at you know there are big chunks of states like in the Midwest and in the South 
that do have those sugar bands that all of a sudden, you know, that's a huge group of people who are all of a sudden without access to abortion and have to travel, you know, far distances. In right. Order. Yeah. I mean, if you look at this map, it's like, I wish we had this here, but it's like, I mean, basically South Carolina from the East, all the way through Georgia, Alabama, Mississippi, Louisiana, Arkansas, Oklahoma, and Texas and Florida are all red. Exactly. So North um, Carolina is basically going to be the only place to get an abortion. I mean. And what that means then for areas like DC, like Maryland, like Virginia, that don't have you know, explicit laws on the books, uh, or, you know, in, in Maryland's case, uh, there is an affirmative um, support um, of abortion access, you're going to see an increase of folks coming to what we're calling haven states, um, where people are traveling great distances um, to be able to, to access their abortion. And then even people who are already living in these, uh, in, in these states may have a harder time accessing abortion care, because there'll be less uh, appointments available because there's now, you know, lots of, of folks coming in um, from other places because they can't get abortions in their own states. Mm. So I want to let you go. So I want to just ask you the last thing is, you know, I, I was in my women's leadership class teaching on Monday and all of a sudden one of the women looked up and goes, Roe v. Wade is about to be overturned. And it was just like this moment of silence in class. Um, what a lot of women are feeling angry and not just women, people are feeling angry, powerless, furious. I mean, what can they do besides protest in front of the Supreme Court and donate money? Sure. Um, I mean, and they're right to feel angry in part because most people, most women of reproductive age have always had, you know, grow. Like this was something that was just sort of right. available. Just so the loss of it is, is, is very uh, sort of devastating. Uh, and so, you know, as you mentioned, you know, go to go to protests, donate to abortion funds, donate to independent clinics, donate to the practical support, um, but then organize. Um, we have a midterm election coming up in November that we really need um, there to be, you know, um, legislators who support proactive legislation because honestly, that is particularly in states that is that is one of the solutions is to vote out the people who, you know, who passed this legislation and vote in folks who are gonna um, support, you know, repealing um, those, those, you know, those restrictions and uh, putting in more affirmative um, rights. Um, so organize, understand these issues, um, educate, you know, really look at educating yourselves on, on candidates, on, you know, what's happening at the local and state levels. Um, really, you know, really, be a part of the democracy, be a part of the democratic yeah. process. Um, make sure you're registered to vote and vote. That is that is the power that we still have. That's a power that is trying, you know, that that, that folks are trying to deny folks. Um, so make, make sure that you're exercising um, that right to vote because our very democracy is at stake um, and we could easily lose it if people aren't paying attention and aren't you know, exercising the power um, that we do have. So voting and organizing for the midterms and for 2024. So, you know, people can go to their local democratic office. There's, I mean, there's, I'm sure there's a million places that people can go volunteer. That's right. And there, and you know, if you specifically want to see how um, candidates um, are on specific issues, I know NARAL uh, and Planned Parenthood both have sort of voter guides that, you know, that will rate, um, 
great politicians, great legislators on how, you know, on, on, on how they are on, on many of our, these issues that we care so deeply about. Great. So I just want to ask you anything, any other points you'd like to make before I let you go for the night? Um, just to keep our heads up, I know that this is this feels really heavy, um, mm -hmm. and that, that that the future looks bleak. Um, but we there there's still work to be done. There is still um, ways that you know we can can be vocal about our support, be fully throated in our support for abortion, help to reduce abortion stigma. Um, if you are somebody who has had an abortion. Um, you know, if you feel comfortable, share your abortion story. Um, you know, people, everybody loves somebody who has had an abortion um, and understand that this is not a rare thing that sort of happens. It's not a sort of fringe thing. Right. It's, it's one out of three women, right? Or is it five? Uh, it's one out of four now um, who, you know, who will have an abortion in their lifetime. So it is, it is like, it is like a common thing. Um, and all sorts of people get abortions. Uh, Pro-choice people get abortions. Pro-life people get abortions. So it is. It is uh, Donald know, Trump's mistresses. I'm sure have had abortions. Exactly. <laughs> but yeah, there's lots of more by him. I'm sure. Right. So you know, we there's a lot that we can do to reduce the stigma around this. To fully, you know, use the platforms that we have, use our social media to show support, to share articles, to share, you know, um, pro. Um, uh, you know, people supporting abortion access um, to to uplift those um, uh, those those social media posts. So there's a lot of ways that people can you know really work to reduce uh, stigma and and really work to to show support um, of this um, this healthcare for that people need. All right. Well, Gerald, I want to just thank you so much for not only for coming on the show but for being an unbelievable advocate for women's rights for you know for just the rights of all women and for you know trying to help us to retain um our, our right to choose thank you so much for having me and thank you for raising this this issue and and talking about this and we got it we have to keep talking about it we have to keep um you know making it clear that this is something that we support Thank you so much, Gerald. I so appreciate you coming on the show and thanks so much. And uh, I'm glad to hear that I can keep my head a little bit up. <laughs> I'm definitely one of the ones that have been feeling like, oh no, the world is ending. So uh, thanks for that pep talk at the end as well. <laughs> no problem. I'm an eternal optimist. So she's working overtime right now, trying to stay optimistic, but yeah, um, yeah. We, we, we still have a chance. So. <laughs> All right, Carol, let me let you go for the night, but it was such a pleasure having you. Thank you so much for coming on Samantha Politics. Thank you. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. So that was Gerald Hayes, the Movement Building Director for If Then How, which is an organization that helps with lawyers and law students to get involved in ensuring reproductive justice. And you heard some of the things she said, our very democracy is at stake. The very jurisprudence that this lies on and the reasoning that applied to this case of saying that the constitution does not say anything about abortion means that all these other laws that were talked about or were reasoned without the constitution saying that you could exactly have that are now under threat as well, which is incredibly dangerous. And we could see a shattering of individual rights in so many ways based on this case, not just abortion. So I wanna go in to show you some of the footage today from the Supreme Court. Zach, can you just play that video clip of what we saw today at the Supreme Court? <laughs> Pro-life, 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 pro-life
essentially what we've been seeing at the Supreme Court since Monday night when this was announced or when this was leaked, there have just been people at the Supreme Court nonstop protesting this decision. We've also seen that security has been ramped up in the at the Supreme Court because of the level of anger that people have. The other thing that was you know, quite odd, at least that I saw today, was there was about half pro-choice and there was about half anti-choice people standing there with dismembered images of fetuses, which were disgusting. Um, and many women who were protesting against their own rights, which I found quite odd. But let's hear from some of the women that were there protesting to keep Roe v. Wade. Zach, can you play that first interview? Hi, can you tell us your name? Hi, my name is Maisie. Hi, Maisie, and who's this? This is Ike. I'm training him to be a service dog. Oh, that's amazing. How long has he been training? I've had him since September. He will go on to training until about a year and a half and then do harness training so he can um, help a visually impaired individual. Oh my god, so he's going to be helping a blind person, essentially. Yes. Um, so can you tell us what brings you here today, Maisie? Sure, I am here in response to the draft of the Roe v. Wade appeal, so I think that women and people with uteruses should be fighting back so that we can continue to have rights. Um, so what is your, tell us about your sign. I believe that Roe v. Wade should not be um, taken down by the Supreme Court. I think that it is essential to just human rights. It's fundamental and we absolutely need it um, in order to keep abortion legal. Where are you from? I'm from Fairfax, Virginia. Okay. What have you seen so far at the protests? image of her with her service dog there. Uh, clearly somebody that cares about the world and cares about helping people. She's training a dog to be a service provider for a blind person. Uh, you know, it's just, it's just tremendous. Can we now see, Zach, can we go to the second interview, please? So I have Josephine here and Lily. Hi, Lily. Hi, beautiful. So can you tell me what brings you out here today, Josephine? Well, I'm protesting because they're trying to get rid of Roe versus Wade, and I support it because I needed a, an abortion to basically survive. I had an atomic pregnancy. And it so as you can hear there, Zach, did you play that whole, it's not the 10 second one, right? It's the whole interview? That's the wrong interview. Okay, can you just play the next interview? Hey ladies, can you tell me what brings you out here today? Um, well, I brought my daughter because I've always told her that you stand up for what is right, even if you're standing alone. But today we're not alone. Yeah, 
It's wonderful. We have a lot of support and a lot of great people out here and I've gotten to know a lot of people and everybody here is so passionate and kind and intelligent and it is truly great to see so many wonderful people come together for such an important, like, very important cause. Where are you all from? The Eastern Shore of Maryland. So can you tell me, is there, why are you pro-choice? Because I believe that nobody should, I believe it's a right and I don't think, you don't have to be pro-abortion to be pro-choice. If you don't want to have an abortion, then don't have one. But nobody deserves to have that right taken away from people who want one or need one. Especially in cases of rape and sexual assault. With, for a woman to endure that trauma and then have to go through further trauma by giving, giving birth to a baby that was brought in such a harmful way is just... It's not acceptable, and to be pro-life is to be, it's just, it's not, I can't, yeah. What about you, Mom? Pardon me? What about you? Oh, why am I pro-choice? Because, you know, it's up to the individual, and it's a, a woman's individual right to choose, and no one can tell her what to do with her body, ever. What have you seen so far at the protests? I've seen... I know, I know you. Mostly I've just seen a lot of passionate people. There has been no physical conflicts. Everybody is remaining peaceful, though there may be frustration between the pro-choice protesters and the pro-life protesters. There is no violence, and I think there is an understanding that, you know, this is... I don't know. It's really wonderful. Everybody is very passionate. What do you think of uh, Amy Amy Barrett Cohen? Or Amy, excuse me. What do you think of um, Amy Barrett Cohen? Yep. Huge mistake. Huge mistake. And I, I, I just am overwhelmed how they wouldn't elect Merrick Garland. Yes, Garland. But then somehow they plow through three new appointees, um, and that just doesn't hold true to our American um, civil liberties. Okay, I'm gonna let you go. Tell me your names to the camera. Um, my name's Tiffany Powell. I'm from the Eastern Shore of Maryland. And what's your name, ma'am? Sadie Powell. So what I love about that interview is the mother-daughter combo, and the thing the mother says in the beginning about. You know, she taught her daughter to stand up for what she believes in. And the other point that the daughter brings up is, you know, when people are raped or assaulted, that they don't have control over that. And my master's thesis, I looked at children born of wartime rape and their lives are pretty horrible. Also, something that you see happen is that infanticide actually increases, meaning uh, the actual baby, once it's born, actually being killed increases when women don't have access to abortions because they're so desperate to get rid of that baby. So people are talking about the fetus, but a living, breathing baby is actually more likely to be killed if they come into this world. Um, but you know, I, I love what she says about how somebody who's a victim of trauma like that, of rape, of sexual assault, shouldn't have to then go through the additional added trauma of going through such hoops in order to get an abortion. Anyway, it's really unbelievably unfathomable unfathomable and the way that our justice system looks right now with less than two percent of rape cases prosecuted in our federal justice system it's likely that criminalization of abortion or women who have abortions will actually be higher than people who are criminalized due to rape in addition if people rape and they know that there's a likelihood 
that somebody is pregnant or they find that out, they can then threaten them to not tell the justices and that they've been raped because then they have fodder in them and they can say that they've had an abortion and they could probably go to jail for longer. That's something that we saw happen a lot in El Salvador and Honduras where abortion has been illegal for a long time. So let's go into that final interview, Zach. So I have Josephine here and Lily. Hi Lily! Hi beautiful! So can you tell me what brings you out here today, Josephine? Well, I'm protesting because they're trying to get rid of Roe versus Wade and I support it because I needed an abortion to basically survive. I had an atomic pregnancy and if I didn't have a medical abortion, I wouldn't be here today and I wouldn't have my daughter Lily. Wow, so basically it was having an abortion that, that saved, saved your my life. life and let me go on to be a mother. I have three other I have three other children who are older. Um, can you tell us what so what tell me about the pregnancy and what kind of pregnancy? It's called an eptomic pregnancy. It's when your egg doesn't go into your uterus. It stays in your fallopian tube and the pregnancy grows there and it's very very dangerous for women because if it does end up um, catching in your fallopian tube, the baby will start growing there and basically just messes up everything. Oh god. Yes, yep. So, where did you have your abortion? It was at Planned Parenthood. Wow, in what state? I'm here in Maryland. In Maryland. So, you're, I'm sure you're very grateful for Roe v. Wade, it sounds like. Yes. How long have you been out here protesting? Um, I just got here about 20 minutes ago. What do you think so far? I think it's a little bit crazy out here. You know, I can understand both stances, but I really do think that we need to have abortion laws here in the United States and everywhere across the states. Like, if we didn't, women everywhere would just be dying or trying to have forced abortions and end up hurting themselves. Lily, what do you think, beautiful? Thank you so much. I really appreciate your comments and for coming out here and standing up for women's rights. Welcome. So that particular interview I found incredibly striking because as I'm standing there with this mother and her baby who was adorable, she's telling me that she, her life was at risk and that had she not had access to an abortion, she would have died. She would have died. And now she has three kids happily and th that adorable little girl, Lily, but had she not had access to a safe and legal abortion, she would be dead and none of her children would have been born. I mean, those kinds of cases are really striking. And I think other cases that we don't talk about is when you find out that the child is going to be multiply handicapped. As somebody who had a severely multi multiply handicapped sister with a fatal genetic brain disease, uh, who unfortunately passed away this past December, I've seen what parents go through who have children who are multiply handicapped. It is absolutely devastating and their entire lives essentially have to be dedicated to taking care of that child if they don't have access or are able to afford childcare, all the while knowing that their child has a very short life sentence is going to die. And I don't think that anybody should be forced into that position. It's just not fair after seeing how devastating it is for these families. So, you know, that argument, I don't think is really, you know, holds ground. Am I glad my sister is part of the world? Yes. But again, I don't think that anyone should have to be forced 
to take care of a multiply handicapped child for their life while they're waiting for the child to die. It's a horrible thing. If you can abort early on, by all means, like that is your choice. The other thing that's incredibly important to point out is that this country, which is saying, well, you can't have abortions, has one of the lowest rates of childcare spending in the developed world. So the U.S. spends under uh, about 0.2% of its GDP on childcare. We do not have subsidized childcare. Something that we saw happen during the pandemic was a she session, which was majorly because women did not, the kids were home from school and most women didn't have childcare to take care of children. So they had to quit their jobs because the burden of care, about 80% of working mothers ended up taking care of uh, children or helping them go to school versus 30% of working fathers. So mothers end up taking that brunt when kids were home from school during COVID. So important to think about that, that the U.S. is not all of a sudden going to say, okay, well, you're having an abortion, you can't have an abortion, but here's $80,000 for your kid to go to college. Not happening. It's like they only want the fetus to come to viability, but they don't actually care about the actual child once it's born, which makes me feel like this is all about controlling women's bodies and also about the in interference of the Catholic Church and whatever the Bible says, which is just stupid. The other thing that the United States doesn't have is we do not have universal uh, paternity and maternity leave. Companies do not have to give maternity and paternity leave. Uh, the Family Medical Leave Act says up to 12 weeks unpaid leave for new parents, but a lot of people are excluded. Um, up until not that long ago, even if you worked at the State Department, there was no paid maternity leave. And thanks to organizing by my old boss Lillian uh, and the group, the Balancing Act, that finally got through that the State Department employees got paid maternity leave, but that's not a given here at all by any means. And what if you have a C-section? Then your recovery time is even longer. So this a hypocrisy of saying, well, we want you to have a baby, but we don't care what happens after you have a baby. Then the baby's off to fare on its own. If the reason you're making it is from an economic perspective and you're saying, I can't afford this child. Um, other situations I've seen, I saw on LinkedIn and I want to just shout out to a guy at HubSpot who said, I can't stay silent, where they ended up having an abortion because it was going to be a stillbirth. And what is the point of bringing a, you know, a essentially a dead baby into this world. I mean, just horrible. And it, it's also dangerous to the life of the mother. So that's another reason that people have abortions. I mean, there's so many reasons that are just, it's such a private decision. And it's so unfathomable to think that the government is now going to have jurisdiction, especially in consideration of the fact that you have four male, or excuse me, four male justices that are on this and Amy Comey Barrett, who is super religious and clearly religion is dictating her decision making. So as Gerald was talking about what can you do, demonstrate there's local protests happening all over the place, not just in front of the Supreme Court. But I think the most important thing besides also donating to the, all these funds is to get involved for the midterms. Find your local Democratic office or look up the candidates who are pro-choice or anti-choice. Go volunteer, knock on doors, make phone calls, write letters. We need to win the midterms. We have to vote out these state legislatures, which are, again, mostly dominated by men who are going to flip the switch on abortion if Roe v. Wade is overturned.
return. So get out there, volunteer, make sure you vote, 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 vote. That is your right as an American citizen. If you're watching the show, use it, go vote and volunteer for the midterms and for 2024 so that we can make sure that if this does go into effect, which looks scarily likely that it is going to happen, that we can try to at least manage some of the state's responses to this. But I can't demonstrate to you how much this is a shocking moment in history unfolding right now. And for women especially, it is such an abrogation of our own individual rights as women in the United States of America, which is all supposed to be about individualism and freedom of choice, that it's just sick. In addition to the fact that it violates the separation of church and state by having the Catholic Church so embedded within this reasoning. So I wanna thank you tonight for watching Samantha Politics. You can tune in again. I'm not sure what our next show is going to be on, but it'll probably be on something international. If you liked this show, please share it. If you are on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, please give us a five-star review that helps other people to see our podcast. And then also consider supporting us on Patreon. As a member, you get exclusive access to special things like suggesting what topics I'm going to cover. And for $3 a month, so less than the price of a Dunkin' Donuts coffee, you can support this journalism. So that link is www patreon.com slash samanthropolitics1. Also, if you want to be an unbelievable feminist leader like Gerald Hayes, consider applying to the Women's Leadership Challenge, which is a feminist leadership program for women from all over the world to come together and figure out how do we create institutional change? How do we rise? How do we make sure stuff like this doesn't happen? Or when it does, how do we actually effectively put our power to use in getting these things overturned. And that link is www.womensleadershipchallenge.com. And I am your fearless leader and teacher. We have two spots left for the July cohort. Our current virtual cohort is full, excuse me, two spots left for the DC cohort coming up in May. The July cohort has a few spots. The virtual cohort is full that is currently operating. But if you're interested in becoming a feminist leader, uh, who can create change and you're feeling powerless in this moment, definitely check out the Women's Leadership Challenge. I also want to thank Stream Inspectors. So every time I'm going back and forth with Zach, that is the head of Stream Inspectors, who are the leaders in live stream production. And I'm incredibly grateful. They've now been producing our show since about September of 2020. And I just could not have in a million years have put together such a high quality show without them. So I'm incredibly grateful. And do check out Stream Inspectors if you are sick of grainy Zoom webinars that you know nobody listens to for your company, get live stream production. Who knows? Maybe I'll come in and even MC your conference. So until next week, this is Samantha Carlin. Thank you so much for watching this episode of Samantha Politics.